Hello world, it's Jason Smith here with another fantastic episode of the Sales Synergistics Podcast. Today I'm talking to a rather new connection, Mr. John Cook, that comes from the professional consulting world. And we had a fantastic conversation last quarter about the type of leadership that's needed to drive the kind of changes that we talk about here on this podcast. So if this is something that makes sense to you, tune in for this episode of the Sales Synergistic Podcast. Hey guys, well, welcome. I'm um, happy to be joined here today with uh, my new host, uh, new guest actually, Mr. John Cook, who was referred to me from some associates in uh, the military circles I run in. Uh, how you doing today, John? Good, and you? Oh, fantastic. You know, and uh, I was really excited to get that introduction and learn a lot more about you. We had some fantastic uh, preliminary conversations and I was totally impressed by your work and your background. And uh, I want to make sure that the entire audience here feels the same. Do you mind taking a little time to tell us about yourself and uh, kind of the, the professional career that got you here to be on the podcast? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I came from an aerospace background uh, out of college, um, did uh, worked in uh, aviation and defense. Uh, from there, uh, I decided to, uh, to go to business school. Um, so went to uh, uh, went to uh, University of Pennsylvania, uh, got my MBA, um, and then from there uh, went to go do some work for uh, uh, one of the uh, top-tier consulting companies, uh, MBB. Um, did that for a couple of years, and then uh, uh, now I'm uh, doing uh, freelance consulting. Fantastic, fantastic. In our previous conversations, you know, uh, to make sure everybody has some context, you've done some pretty heavy lifting and some very uh, prestigious organizations. I know that there's not too much you can disclose, but uh, tell us a little bit about the kind of project work you've done in broad strokes uh, to kind of frame the conversation we're going to have today. Sure. Um, so I've did a bunch of uh, different uh, engagements for different clients across uh, government and uh, private sector, um, ranging from different uh, business functions to different, uh, uh, just, just a number of different uh, problems that we uh, we worked on. Um, some real interesting things, uh, uh, helping, uh, helping companies win more uh, business with the federal government, um, figuring out uh, where government was spending money on uh, IT, um, helping, uh, helping companies uh, streamline their IT uh, uh, budgets, uh, operating systems, um, helped uh, move uh, call centers and service centers uh, overseas. Uh, and or within the U.S. Um, just, so just a number of different things. Um, uh, this, is, this is very, uh, um, very interesting, fulfilling work. Always, uh, always something new, always uh, challenging. Yeah, it was interesting. And, and what I'm glad of, knowing some of the stuff that we've talked about in private and the clearances you hold and things like that, it's just been really cool that uh, uh, you've been able to do this kind of work. I know you can't disclose everything, but the depth of experience you had was just uh, mind-blowing and the type of work you've done was it was very impressive that um, I'm really happy to share some of these insights with you and, and hear some of your thoughts but um, you know we talked a little bit about uh, the methodology we're doing here with sales synergistics 
getting marketing, sales, and operations. And uh, candidly, you know, I just wanted to know your thoughts on how important this work we're doing here on this podcast is to the business community to make sure we get all these organizations working together outside their silos. You know, how important is that to, uh, you know, corporate America or just in business in general today? So um, I, I think uh, any business leader will agree with you that uh, um, sales pretty much drives the, uh, the business. Um, if you don't have sales, you don't have a business. Um, so I think, I think that uh, a lot of people are going to be on board with that. I think we're, the conversation may get a little um, obscured is when you start moving down away from uh, from the senior leaders. We start looking at uh, at some of those n minus ones, n minus twos, n minus threes, um, who may not necessarily have so much exposure and may not necessarily uh, uh, may not necessarily see the uh, the problem from uh, from the broad level. Well, yeah, that's an an important point, uh, and I think that's where some of the the breakdown comes. I think senior leaders aren't necessarily close to the ground enough to see those disconnects and the middle tier director level uh, leadership isn't high enough to see all of the needs for synergy. Uh, and in your experience, what kind of problems do those disconnects tend to cause? Uh, well, I, let, let's step back just a little bit when we talk about the, uh, the problems. I think uh, one of them is a, is a problem of uh, language. Um, you know, just when we when we think about this, um, you definitely see a uh, you see each each different uh, specialized function within the business has their own mindset, their own uh, if you will metrics that they're tracking, uh, their own uh, challenges and their focus within the business, um, and so uh, oftentimes sales is is something that they don't think about. Um, it's it's not really until you kind of get up to the the CEO's level where where sales really uh, um, becomes a, a large focus. Yeah, and uh, in my experience, I I came from a different form of consulting. I was a consultative uh, sales rep, consultative sales leader for for very large territories at uh, IBM and a few other companies where we're solving real business problems, but just a very specific business problem for most of them. A lot of the work you were doing in strategic consulting is much more high level, influencing how companies go to market, uh, how businesses are structured and, and, and achieve their goals in broader strokes. But that same work, that, that translation of language and commonality between different divisions, I was even able to see that at my level. That was the challenges in moving tactical decisions about products, uh, moving them forward because different divisions of the business had different perceptions. But it always seemed like whenever senior leadership got involved, things just smoothed out because that top-down leadership, that influence just made everything, uh, you know, defined by one purpose, you know, what the, the senior leaders were after. And, and it doesn't seem like that always drives the decisions in the business. It, it seems like there's constantly a disconnect between what the senior leaders want and the decisions that are happening sort of in the middle and, and bottom tiers of the business. You've got more experience. Why is that? Why is there such a gap? Well, I think, um, well, for one, business leaders have a lot of things on their mind. Um, uh, they're, they're always uh, concerned about their shareholders. They're concerned about their board. Um, oftentimes, they're incentivized on uh, earnings per share. Mm. Uh, so they're very much uh, interested in that. And there, there are many ways to drive earnings per share uh, that may not necessarily, you know, sales is one lever, right? Mm. Um, but uh, 
I, I would say in some ways it can be the hardest lever to pull, right? Uh, growth is hard, um, whereas cost cutting is easier. Um, and there, there are a number of other uh, different methods that, uh, that you can kind of drive at. But uh, um, uh, so often what you see because of that is that uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of what's going on in the, uh, the CEO's mind uh, may not necessarily jive with uh, maybe what, uh, what different segments of the business are thinking about and what they're focusing on, especially as they continue to drive. And um, I think this is, this is something else that, uh, that people want to think about. Uh, it, that is uh, basically the inertia of the business, right? People get into uh, the flow of doing what they've done, right? They're good at what they're doing. And uh, sometimes it's hard to kind of pull yourself out of that, if you will, hedgerow. Um, and look around and see what the uh, the other people around you are doing and kind of where the overall business is going. It's driven often by the, their term, right? So uh, they come into the business, uh, they're incentivized by their board often with a certain earnings per share, a set of earnings per share targets. Basically, if you, if you make some, some, you know, above, above some certain earnings per share, they take a percentage of what they, uh, what they get above that. Um, and so, it really drives, it, it does drive short-term behavior. It drives behavior that is very focused on their term as CEO. And they know they're going to be there for, you know, so many years usually, and then they're going to leave and someone else is going to come in. Um, and so they're usually not looking at the business long-term. That, that's, that's been my observation. It's not, it's not a, a hard and fast. This isn't a solid rule. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are some CEOs that, uh, that have come up with the business Mm -hmm. um, or, or may, may be invested more in that regard. But uh, for others, uh, there's often a, a sense of uh, they basically need to, to, to really focus on their earnings per share while they're in the business. And once they're out, um, they may be called upon to consult, you know, by the, the following CEO. Right. But it's, it's not a, it's not a long-term vision. Right. Right. There are some, CEOs, some breeds of CEOs or senior leaders, let's just use that term, because mm -hmm. uh, I've met some at different tiers of different businesses as I've been out consulting since I left the sales roles, um, that they're here for specific purposes to work on that long-term strategy. They're uh, turnaround or change agents, right, that are there to pull the old bar rescue on the organization and put in long-term changes that will, you know, systemically affect the culture of the business, right? Um, what's the difference between those guys coming in versus someone else? So, I, again, I, I think in many cases it will come back to what, what types of incentives are in place. Um, uh, perhaps maybe a, a focus on, uh, you know, market capitalization. Um, I mean, people, people are complex. They're not, they're not just uh, two dimensional. Some people do think about what is their legacy. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I shouldn't maybe, I mean, maybe uh, when we, when we paint with a broad brush, it, it can, uh, it can get in the way, but uh, that is always a, a driving factor though. Uh, is this, uh, is basically how they're, uh, how they're incentivized and what type of personal values they, uh, they have. Yeah, we uh, we salespeople uh, are the same way. We're we're coin operated, and we we make no bones about it. And it seems to be that uh, whenever I'm talking to senior leadership, now that I've been out in sales coaching and consulting, um, they're always talking about how their teams compensated as a way to drive 
their behavior. And I, I imagine that's not different than anyone else in the organization anywhere else. Um, but there's something interesting that I've seen, and we talked about this before the call. It seems like the, pers the perspective of a senior leader who came through uh, the sales or the, the biz dev side of the business that was closer to the customer brings a different kind of culture into that C-suite. And this, again, the, the director level or any of that, when a, an individual gets to the, the top of an organization and sales rolls up to them, they've come from that seller's perspective. Have you seen that they have a little different approach to the business? Um, I can definitely say that uh, CEOs that have uh, had sales experience seem to be a little bit more savvy as CEOs. That's, that's my observation, my opinion. Um, I would say the other thing is uh, CEOs that have spent substantial periods of time within the business and have learned a lot of the different areas of the business also, I think, seem to be a little more savvy in the role for that given company. Maybe not necessarily overall, but definitely uh, in terms of if we were to rate them against other CEOs that maybe were brought in from other places. And I think research may bear that out, but don't, uh, don't quote me on that. No, that is an interesting point. Um, what salespeople go through and, and what their perspective on, on driving value is really all about. Is it really that, that foreign to most people? I think there's a difference in mindset uh, based on uh, the experiences that people have had. People that have had sales experience, I think, tend to maybe be able to empathize a little bit more with uh, the kind of world where um, basically you uh, you eat what you kill, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, versus someone who uh, maybe is compensated on um, basically the, the hours that they put into the job. I think we talked about this a while back when we were looking at the different types of consulting companies. And I think that's really valuable because they, they always think in terms of the value they can deliver and building those skills. I also always felt like it was better if other aspects of the business thought that way, you know, and that's what we do as salespeople. So I think, I think any good organization needs to retain. So let's, let's take a, take a step back. So we've got basically two models here, right? We've got the specialized model where um, everybody in the business is very specialized at their own thing, but they don't have a lot of insight into the work that everyone else is doing. And then we've kind of got the, we can call it the generalist model where uh, everybody has to be well-rounded in the majority of uh, tasks. Um, and I think those, those two business models fit well for certain uh, conditions, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of to your point, I think size is uh, one of those key driving characteristics. When you have a small organization, you do require people to, um, to basically be well-rounded in a lot of different areas to kind of pick up the slack, right? Because there isn't a, there isn't a lot of excess capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and so the other advantage, I guess, if you will, in this small organization is that uh, uh, because it is so small and there are so few people, it is kind of easier to kind of get the lay of the land for the whole organization. But as an organization gets bigger, this is where it starts to get more complicated. Uh, this is where you can't afford to have everybody in everybody else's business, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. um, it becomes much harder to to really uh, maintain that situational awareness just because there are so many people and there's so many things going on. 
um, that you really do see this, uh, this need for drive, uh, this need for specialization. At the same time, um, and this is kind of the, the eternal challenge, how do you maintain that uh, level of expertise, that, that level of knowledge and awareness um, and understanding of the other areas of business within each of the resident uh, areas of the business? Mm. Yeah, and again, keeping that, that knowledge shared among other different divisions I don't think that's anybody's job in a large organization to make sure that the other divisions know about them. It seems to fall to that catch-all senior leadership to make sure that that's a part of their their culture and their goals to make sure that everybody has a little bit of that cross flow of information and internal empathy, if you will, so that everybody can kind of work and operate better together. Um, yeah, I think I think you'll you'll find that uh, you can either do it actively um, via um, basically a push model uh, or you can do it through process. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's where it kind of runs on its own. You establish the vision, you, uh, you put in place the procedures and then you ensure that uh, kind of this cross flow of communications goes on. Um, sure. So uh, there, there was a, a project that we, uh, that I worked on um, where we were brought in to basically handle change management for this organization um, this was actually, uh, we were helping uh, establish a shared service center. So we were, uh, we were moving these service functions from, uh, uh, basically we had the, these two uh, large, uh, they were two large pharmaceutical companies that were merging with each other. And we were helping them consolidate their operations into uh, to one post-merger. And uh, we were helping them to set up new shared service centers in order to reduce their costs. Because you don't want to have uh, basically two sets of administrative costs. Mm -hmm. um, in order to keep the communications flowing uh, across the organization, uh, we, we established these uh, biweekly meetings where uh, we basically had a, a number of different uh, topics that we would, uh, we would go over to basically keep the different units that were involved in this merger aware of what was going on at each place. And then we also uh, handled the communications with the rest of the organization to let the, uh, the organization know about how this service center was going to change, basically how their services for the, uh, the personnel within the company were going to change. So you, would you consider that type of process programmatic or push as you were referring to? So I, I honestly, in this case, it was probably a little bit of both. Um, it was a little bit forced in that, um, and it was kind of temporary uh, because this this level of change management communications is only necessarily uh, as long as the changes in process. Once the service centers are stood up, um, a lot of the change communications wouldn't be necessary anymore. Um, however, uh, there was also the programmatic aspect of it as we were kind of teaching the company um, teaching the two merged companies, if you will, how to communicate with each other um, and to establish a new paradigm so that they kind of knew what was going on uh, between between the two companies as they were merging and uh, as they were intermixing their, their leadership um, and uh, along with the different business units as these service centers stood up. Wow. That's interesting. I, I, I listened to this kind of approach and you know as we keep doing this we kind of get more people involved in in bringing that change management really up to the top you know mm -hmm. 
But uh, listen, we we got to be respectful of your time. You you got a busy day to continue with, and um, I gotta say that these conversations we've had over the last few days have been as advertised. I'm gonna have to uh, thank Fernando for uh, connecting us. I understand you're a, a contracted uh, agent right now, and there's there's no way for people to reach out to you. But uh, your expertise has been awesome. I would normally ask people to plug you uh, or ask you to, to give your contact information, but we understand the role you're in, and I, I really appreciate the work you're doing because you're uh, doing a big service to a lot of people through the projects you're working on now, and I thank you for that. Thank so, you as well. We appreciate it, and we appreciate all of you guys, and we hope to see you next time on the uh, Sales Synergistic Podcast. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you.